Hi, you're listening to Hoopleheads, a Deadwood podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield, here with Soren Howe. We're talking about episode four of season two, Requiem for Aglite, which is a great name, directed by Alan Taylor, the great Alan Taylor of Thor <laughs> The Dark World, Terminator <laughs> Genesis, and the worst episode of Game of Thrones, probably in which the entire series. Um, uh, the one from last season that was where they were on the big lake, and it was just oh, terrible. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. So a, a, a really stellar career. Um, he's done a, great, a lot of great TV. He did some Mad Men. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's got fine. quite a, like, a, <laughs> I, I've looked in, into his uh, filmography, and it's, like, pretty impressive. Um, I'm just teasing. Like, he made, he made two extraordinarily bad movies, <laughs> He's fine. Yeah, it was that weird one who liked uh, Dark World more than uh, the original Thor, but I am uh, a minority. I don't like either of those. No, movies, no, I sure. don't like either of them either. I don't like this was relatively speaking, but yeah, no, they're not um, not great. <laughs> anyway, but yes, so uh, which brings us to Deadwood, and I think I probably said at the time I'm going to retcon old podcasts, I suppose, by saying this if it's not true. But I think what I probably said was Alan Taylor, and then I looked him up and said, oh, he directed episodes of Deadwood. Deadwood's a good show. Um, but I couldn't, you know, remember precisely what happened in those specific uh, episodes of Deadwood. So now here we have one. Um, and I think we've... Did he direct anything else in this uh, in season one? Oh. I don't this think might be so. His first, then. And I'm not sure if I'm not sure if he even directed anything, any other episodes besides this. Um, he did direct Here Was a Man. Okay, so oh, we, have, he did. we okay. have covered uh, him in the past, um, which is, I guess, that's when uh, Hickok um, gets shot. I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, hmm. In any case, so he has directed, uh, he has directed in the past. Um, so anyway, yes, uh, Requiem for a Gleet. All right, so let's just run down. This is kind of this episode's kind of all over the place. Yeah. There's a lot. It's not like the previous episodes where there's been like sort of a main event that everything's circling around, especially not like last week in particular. There's a lot going on. So I'm just going to try and run down the big beats. I'll probably forget something. Um I do have a synopsis it, in front of me, but uh, it's, so it's funny with, you say that cuz I, I it feel starts, like it's it's splits pretty neatly between like Wolcott and and uh and Al. But there's a million okay, other things right. going on. Like there's, there's so, Go for so it. yeah. So it starts with <laughs> Seth and Seth and Martha waking up, um, and she sort of uh, lures him back into bed to have. Uh, it's a a loaded use of the mm. word intercourse, and that's one of the only times we see Seth in this episode. Mm. He's barely in it, and the real big thing that's happening in this episode is Al. Cochran is getting ready to perform this procedure to get out the kidney stones and Al is really mm. looking rough <laughs> and Dan is downstairs trying to shoot people away. There's a lot of scenes of that happening of just him not letting people up. There's this guy who comes by named Crop Ear because of his not having an well, ear. that was clearly cut off, um, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. And he has some plan for a robbery and Dan chases him off and Adams comes by later and Dan has to more, they, they don't make peace, but they are, uh, they, they kind of settle down from their antagonism a little bit. 
but uh, Cochrane's very nervous because he's only ever seen this procedure performed, and even then, only I think he says two out of ten people survive it to begin with. But he thinks he's at a Al is at a point where he might just die anyway if he doesn't do anything. Um, so throughout the episode, we also have Walcott who shows up to Alma's uh, claim. He just kind of walks on, and Ellsworth confronts him, and we get a little little bit of backstory about Ellsworth that I don't think we had before. Um, but the the important thing we learn here is that Walcott, he he was responsible for the deaths of like scores of miners at some uh, claim years prior that Ellsworth knows about. So Ellsworth is not a right. fan of Walcott, and he he again <laughs> the theme in this episode chases him off the property, tells him to get out. Speaking of Alma, she fires Mrs. Ringhausen, but gives her you know gives her enough money to like six months severance and a little bit more enough to start over but there is still it is the appearance of generosity it is not she is still doing something that is if not cruel then you know not very nice <laughs> and Isringhausen later goes to Adams which I don't think we had any indication that they had any sort of relationship whatsoever yeah. and and she says I think Alma's gonna kill me because she's killed before and we'll get to that right. later <laughs> um bizarre scene uh, the other thing that happens with Walcott is his favorite prostitute comes into town, whose name is Carrie, and she heads to the Chesame. Uh, and there's this, speaking of bizarre, utterly bizarre scene where he has all the prostitutes of the Chesame f- around him facing the wall, and he is giving this, telling these stories about Greek history and making weird comments about incest, and it's just really strange and creepy, and he's and he's a strange and creepy man. Um, and then there's those are the big things I mean the 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 way the the owl thing sort of settles up is as they're preparing to do the surgery Cochrane gets this idea to put smelling salts under Al's nose to maybe stimulate the uh, flow and it works eventually he has to stick a thing up his right. penis again which again brutal but it, it does work and Al is uh, uh, he is relieved right. I guess you could say and then there's a lot of little things like Cropier comes back and Dan <laughs> just right. kills him, right. <laughs> which is kind of, yeah. And that that's kind of amazing. Uh, EB tries to pull this routine yeah. on Alma where he's trying to get her to drop her claim and she completely turns it around on him and talks about how it brings up to him that she wants to buy the hotel. And the main, the main, oh, the main there's thing something that you're with, missing, I think is the commissioner. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Stephen yeah. Tobolowski's here. <laughs> he is, um, Hugh, Hugh, what is it, Hugo Yeah, Jerry? I don't What's remember his, his first name, but yeah, Commissioner Jerry. Um, or he pronounces it Jari at first, and then everyone says Jerry afterwards. Jari, but then everyone yeah. else says Jerry. Um, he's there with Sai uh, and Walcott and telling them about how, basically, the way it's going to work is that all the gold claims that predate the treaty with the Sioux uh, when Deadwood was settled... Those are legitimate, but everything afterwards is going to be, quote-unquote, considered on a case-by-case right. basis, which he uh, not so subtly implies uh, means that Wolcott is just going to have first pick. He does, everything. and he also basically makes it clear that the government is up for bribes and up for uh, pretty much whatever um, people want. Yep. Yeah. Then there's a little. The only other scene with Seth is there's this little scene where he and he talks to Saul about their idea to right, which start they've been a bank. Talking about. 
they talked. They mentioned it briefly last episode, which we didn't talk about. But yeah, it's a, sort of an aside. But yeah, they're they're, they're trying to start a bank. Um, so that's a a potential um, new venture. And Saul Saul says, "Well, we could use Alma's uh, claim as as collateral to to get someone to underwrite this." And Seth says, "No." And Saul says, "Well, what about Swear Engine? I bet he'd underwrite." And Seth says, "Absolutely <laughs> not," because he. He wants it to be, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with the sort of dirty dealings that, that Al would do to get that money. But Saul sort of says, well, look, you know, you, we're going to have to get our hands dirty a little if we want to do this. So there's just right. no well, way. And, 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 you know, it's a particularly funny thing, too, because, like, I don't know how he thinks banks form. but <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's a little uh, yeah. optimistic. Um, and then there's a little thing where... Uh, well, Woo, mm. Woo, Mr. Woo comes to see Al, and he he tries to he tries to indicate something to Dan who oh, doesn't really understand. Scene. And I think this is is a great scene. He's in reference to this guy who shows up yeah, with Lee. Walcott, Mr. Lee, and he says to Sai that this Mr. Lee is gonna basically funnel in opium to Sai to sell in the camp, and that they'll sp- split the proceeds for this new uh, joint in uh, the, the Chinese section of camp. And Mr. Wu is very, very upset about this, but obviously he can't really... Uh, Dan Dan just doesn't understand what he's trying to get across. Right, right. It's opium and prostitutes, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like I said, it's not... It is much more like a traditional episode of television in that there are kind of these big beats, the two main storylines, but there's a lot of little stuff interspersed in the middle, and there's not really a clean... Uh, other than the stuff with Al, there's not really a clean arc right. to this episode. And I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily. It's just like, I'm sure I miss stuff, but that's, that's kind of everything I can remember and everything I can see. No, I think that, synopsis. I think that, uh, that covers most of it. Um, before we talk about the, the, the stuff of the episode, um, how did you feel about the direction? You know, it's not. After being really enamored with some of the direction yep. of the early episodes in this season, I was kind of like, you know, it's it's. There's one or two interesting shots, like the shot of oh. Ellsworth standing oh, alone yeah, yeah. in the claim, as the machine yep. pumps away. That's a really that's a cool image. But other than that, you know, it's Alan Taylor is very much he is very much a consummate TV director, and not I don't mean that isn't that, that, that yeah, is it is a backhanded comment, but I think you're right. I mean, it's, I don't I don't fully mean it that way, but he is very much like you know he gets the job. If done, you look at his and he'll work. If you look with at what his filmography, it's it's that's exactly the kind of person who he seems to be. Right, he just slots in. The, there's no like, it's not like he does period dramas yeah. or something. He does. He did Sex in the City. He did uh, Mad Men. He did you know Game of Thrones. Like it's just all over the place. And he seems like he definitely seems like I'm looking at especially his Sopranos episodes, which are great episodes of the Sopranos. But like they're not the sort of episodes that you attribute to the director. You look at those and you're like, oh, wow, David Chase is a genius for right, what went okay. down in that one. You don't really think about those episodes as like, oh, the they were so like the director had such a clear vision for that. He seems to me like the kind of guy who will come in and like, all right, showrunners, what yeah, do you exactly. need to do? I'll do it. it. I will execute yeah, on your it. vision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's the vibe I get from him. So I had the same feeling. I mean, I, I was underwhelmed with, I felt like, I don't know that there's a single person on, in the entire cast, small or large, really ever who gives a bad performance. I, I, you can correct me on that if you feel differently, but I, as yet, no, I don't I feel so. that way. That said, I think that these 
characters of all and these actors have given better performances in other episodes. And part of that, I think, comes down to direction, where a better director might have said, let's try that again in a different way, or let's try just try it again and just get a different take. Um, and it's it's nothing specific. I'm not, like, harping on... It's it's certainly... And it again, as you said, it doesn't ever fall short of, um, you know, like, as a sub... It's hardly a subpar episode, but Deadwood hits very high notes very frequently, and it's... So for me, it it felt a bit stark, especially since we're going episode by episode on this basis. And I was like, yeah, I could see that. And also it is true that, you know, um, in as much power as the director has over the cinematography, the, um, you know, it's not, it wasn't quite as uh, interesting. And, you know, there's some bizarre shots in previous episodes. Last episode, the, you know, they're driving through the thoroughfare, um, uh, Alma and uh, um, Ellsworth. And there's this incredibly weird close-up on Alma's face in the cart and it's such a bizarre shot but like again at least it sticks out it's like something a bit different and here it's just pretty standard I mean I agree there was that shot of Ellsworth in the machine which was cool I mean the whole scene is quite good there's also that shot of right after they get Al better he um of all of them kind of collapsed yeah, on that's a good shot and, and the other good shot I liked is um Ellsworth uh, so not Ellsworth uh Farnham coming out onto the thoroughfare when there's all the commotion um, when uh, uh, the commissioner arrives and Carrie arrive, uh, arrives as well. Um, uh, Farnham comes out and he's silhouetted coming out of the saloon and the camera follows him behind as he comes out. It's a very cool uh, moment. And I, and I, you know, it's a bit like a movie. It's a bit like, you know, you've seen that shot before. It's not unheard of. You might see it in a trailer for something to show like, look at this. And it's kind of funny too, because Farnham is not that person, right? That's my, what you might do for you know, the protagonist surveying the landscape and it's just not, um, but yeah, but by and large, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't overly moved, um, uh, on the direction, uh, of the episode that said, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good little moments, uh, in this. I will say that overall it's sort of a, I don't know what to call it, a connective sort of episode. Like there's not a lot, I suppose that move sword plot wise here is a lot of, uh, I don't know, table setting or whatever you want to call it for what clearly are going to be significant elements moving forward, i.e., you know, Yankton comes to town, uh, you have uh, Wolcott making his predilections a bit clearer, and I'm sure we'll see more of that moving forward. Um, you have Al, you know, finally getting to the end of this, you know, uh, multi-episode arc of his kidney stones um which by the way just in concept that's kind of a crazy thing for a show to focus so much time on especially with such a central character basically yeah. pulling him out of commission and he hasn't said a word and exactly episodes. which is you know crazy for you know the show which does rely on him quite heavily generally speaking and yeah he's quite central to a lot of what's going on it's just that he's not active an active participant um so you know if you, you know what I mean it feels like it's sort of tying off a bunch of ends it's it's setting new plots in motion more so than last episode and the previous episodes which were I felt like drove things forward a little bit more or were really character focused which this also doesn't feel like it's it kind of sits in a weird gray area for me Yeah it's I mean it's a it's a transit it's a transitionary yeah. episode I guess it feels like they are kind of getting out of this first act of the season and into something new, and we'll see maybe next week what the big new thing is. But it feels more like 
it's like the denouement to this first arc. Of yeah, the exactly, season, exactly. And then we'll you know we'll see Al back on his feet. I assume next episode. Um, and and so uh, on that note, because I don't, it's kind of hard to tell what the time frame is here from the last episode. So in the previous episodes, all happened in the course of like they were immediately subsequent to one another. But based on this episode and where Saul is, which is who I'm using as a barometer here, because he was bedridden and now he's up and about with a sling. And I feel like, well, I guess, I guess last episode he was up as well, but it seems like it's been a couple of days because there's an implication that Trixie has come for lessons after he was re- he rebuked her like last episode. Yeah, Seth is is yeah. So I think too. I think a few episodes have gone, or a few um a few uh, a few days have gone by in between. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, for me, the the key elements of this are definitely with regard to the the commissioner. Um, so, yeah, what did you make of Stephen Tobolowski's like uh, sort of boorish, easily corruptible, like knows what the game is, uh, sort of uh, attitude towards government? You know, when he first shows up, I didn't really? even recognize him, and I think it's because when he first shows up, he seems like such a <laughs> stiff, and that's not what I—it's not what I associate right. Stephen Tobolowski with at all. It's not the kind of role you typically see in it, see him in. But when he's in, by the time he's in the bubble bath, I was like, all right, I see why they got him for this role. It's so weird. It's so goofy and 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 like wacky in a way that Deadwood is yeah. never wacky. Um, and I I'm I'm very glad he's here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did find him to be a bit incongruous, but I mean, you know, I think what's fun about Deadwood as a like a not fictional, but fictional in this context, uh, place is that it, it can just sort of see new people come into the town and those people can interact with the town in, in whatever way. Um, and you can bring in someone who does feel incongruous and you kind of get the impression they won't be there for long anyway. You know, they'll get murdered or they'll leave or whatever. But, you know, so you can do mm-hmm. that without really messing with the the fundamentals of the, episode, of the, uh, of the show. So that's kind of cool. Um, and that's actually something I noted, by the way, when I was, and maybe it is the contrast of his character with the rest of the town, um, and even Walcott with the rest of the town, is I, at some point I just observed to myself that, like, it, Deadwood just feels so lived in. I don't know, it just feels like it's a real place. And, and partially it's because they group characters together so often, so many different pairings and people interacting with each other and events across town affecting other events, and it just all feels like these people are inhabiting these buildings are inhabiting these. And I, and like I said, and as we discussed, sorry, like last uh, season, you know, they really did build this town. I mean, they didn't make the actors live there, but <laughs> I mean, it, it is like a, a bustling mm-hmm. place. And I think that, you know, that shows and how they interact with each other. Uh, yeah, no, I think we talked about last season, how it doesn't, I don't remember if we, it's funny. I don't remember if we said it does feel like a set or it doesn't, I think we said it doesn't, but, but we, I we definitely said it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a set. In the way that, uh, yeah, because I remember we talked about Game of Thrones. Exactly. In the way that you would have these scenes of them walking through this architecture, and there's just no one. There's literally, I remember scenes of them walking through, like with some of the cities across the ocean or whatever, and there yep, was just yep. no one there, literally, <laughs> yeah. but the main characters. And it's just like, oh, this is so beautiful and lavish, and it feels like this is the first time anyone yeah, exactly. has stepped foot on it. Whereas Deadwood, yeah, it totally feels like it, it feels like completely believable as a space where people live. You see people obviously bustling around all the time. There's there's life in every in every corner of, of uh, the set. 
And it just, I think you're completely right. It completely feels lived in. It feels like a real, genuine place. Exactly. And I think, you know, it, it sells the believability of things and also helps the cohesion of the cast. And, um, you know, it's actually one of the things I'm most interested to see in the movie, which, by the way, I don't think we mentioned this on the actual podcast, but they've moved the... the um, did we? Okay. I think we well, did they, last they've week, moved actually. The, the release date up to the spring. Um, so uh, we probably won't finish <laughs> all the seasons before then. But, hey, what can you do? Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be really, uh, you know, a, a weird but kind of cool thing to see this this cast back together again because they it feels like they all lived in a town together for three years which they didn't but i mean it's what it seems like from you know as a viewer and so i think that's quite a a cool thing it'll be you know interesting to see the the decade of of space and how how that affects their their take on these characters yeah yeah so what 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 did you think Um, of uh ellsworth and walcott's uh interaction I am really interested to hear what uh, Ellsworth is kind of always, you know, we talked about when we picked this back up, not really remembering <laughs> the characters and Ellsworth, Ellsworth, like everyone else I've immediately remembered. Like I immediately felt like, okay, I remember who this person is. And Ellsworth is one who I just like, I, I couldn't get a beat on him at all. I was like, I don't remember what his deal is, his personality. Whereas opposed to you look at like Doc Cochran right. or Dan or Trixie and I'm like, all right, right. I immediately sure. remember everything about you. Ellsworth just has remained kind of a cipher to me. Um, so it was nice to get a, a hint of what his actual personality is in this in this episode, beyond just the way he uh, warns Alma that uh, of what's coming, basically. Tells her to look out for people who are going right. to try and get her to, to sell her claim. The way he gets really incensed by Walcott, who let all these miners die in pursuit of this claim... That gives me such a clear sense of who he is and where his priorities are, and I really enjoyed that. And it's a you know it's it's a great performance too. But yeah, I, I think Ellsworth is really and again I, I say this not really remembering the character from the first season. I, he to me comes into his own in this episode in an interesting way and makes me interested to see where they're going to take him because previously he's just been sort of there. Right. Well, so. It's it's funny you say that because I had a spe- very specific reaction to him, in the, which was a, a bit different than yours because I remember him quite clearly from the first season, and um, I think part of it is um, they've changed the character. <laughs> the character's different. Oh, well, so there you go. If you okay. remember, the most significant thing Ellsworth really does in the first season, he does agree to look after Alma's claim and all the rest of it. That does get established. But it's not really in an agency-driven sort of way in the same way. It's almost actually implied a little bit to be out of guilt. Guilt for what? Well, I mean, he saw her husband get murdered. Um, and as far as he knows, it was a happy relationship and that was a bad thing. Um, but the first thing we see him do, the most significant thing we see him do, is witness this event happen um, when Dan kills uh, uh Brom Garrett, if you remember Brom Garrett, and yeah, and um, he <laughs> is kind of um, cowardly about it. I mean, he comes back and you know they basically uh, Al and uh, Dan and them are all trying to figure out you know are you going to tell or what, what are you going to do? And uh, Ellsworth's like it's not my business. You know I didn't have anything to do. You know I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. I I didn't see anything basically, um, and. That's to Al, who is powerful within the town or whatever, and obviously can have people killed, but I suppose that's true of most people in Deadwood and, you know. 
And it's just, to me, hard to reconcile that character with a character who does not care who Wolcott is, knows everything about him, knows that he had a bunch of miners killed for the sake of money, which is something that is the same reason that Brom Garrett was killed, by the way. Um, different, Slightly different context, but the same idea. It was over gold. Um, and also knows that he's connected to George Hurst, doesn't care. Like, okay. I like that. I think that's cool. And it, again, puts Ellsworth in a very different camp from Cy and um, and E.B. Farnham, who are, you know, complete psychophants to uh, Wolcott because of George Hurst. But it doesn't really make sense with, to me with the character who was sort of, I don't know, he was kind of a coward, um, I, I, I guess, in comparison. For me, anyway, I don't know if that's that's fair. I think that's interesting because now, now remembering uh, where, what the deal with this character is, that he is, he will cower to Al, but to someone who is ten times more powerful than Al, he'll stand up to because like, Wolcott is on such another level that that he he's like you can you can't possibly do anything to me like you could you could squash me with your thumb, but I I I matter so little to you that I I don't I'm not huh. afraid of you. Like as opposed to as opposed to Al, who is you know is on, they both live in Deadwood. I right. guess is what I'm trying to say. Al is in charge of Deadwood, yes, and um, Ellsworth lives, and it's immediate and it's it's personal because they mm-hmm. like know each other. Whereas Ellsworth is so you know obviously, Wolka does know who he is, but he is so anonymous to Hurst that that power doesn't really scare him. Huh. Yeah, I suppose that's uh that is one that is one way to look at it. I just I don't know, it just seemed it seemed a bit different to me. However, I think this this is more true to the Ellsworth cuz I remember really liking Ellsworth. <laughs> and when we started watching season 1, I was like, I don't know, Ellsworth's kind of a I don't know. Um I mean, he was nice, but he was, you know, he still did this kind of terrible thing to kick off his character and I was like, well, I don't know if I like this guy. Um so then I was trying to remember, why did I like this guy then? And, uh, you know, we're getting a bit more into that, I think. Um, and by the way, it does, you know, suggest this, this uh, you know, this almost proto-labor uh, advocacy from Ellsworth, where he's like, you know, whatever Wilkett's decision was, basically it was, it seemed to be, you know, prioritizing getting gold over safety, right? It was like, keep mining, even though, and they were like, no, it's dangerous. And he was like, no keep mining seems to be the general vibe of what happens in version of that um you know george hurst demands that you continue <laughs> mining basically and uh and they continued doing that and there was a collapse and uh, uh ellsworth saved a bunch of people but he could you know couldn't save everyone and that seemed to be what happened um and again it tells us you know this is who walcott is he's he's not just a power grabbing or sorry a, a sort of power fetishist he's also like a mass murderer and Loses no sleep over it, it seems. Well, he's a mass murderer in the sense that, like, bosses are mass murderers, right? right? In which is why I kind of like this turn for Ellsworth as, like, the as like speaking right, up for yeah. the working man. Because, yeah, there were, I mean, this is whatever year it is, there's no protection for labor. There's no concern for labor. If, if 40, it's, I'm just looking at the number now, 46 people, if 46 people die in the pursuit of a mining expedition, then, like, there, there is no incentive for bosses exactly. to care about that. Th- those people don't matter. So, yeah, you get a sense certainly of of y- it, Wolcott, I think comes into focus a little more, not just as 
in terms of his personality, which we know, obviously, fairly well by by what we hear about him last episode, but just this idea that he uh, wields power in the way that bosses wield power, which is with no concern to the people who are actually executing on whatever you want to do. Exactly. Exactly. And it does pose a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a, uh, sort of a, it gives you a little bit of a sense of, of, of his worldview. And then there's this amazing quote, just to connect this to the conversation that happens later with the commissioner. Um, I don't know if you know the quote I'm talking about, but they, they're talking about the claims and they're talking about how rumors might spread about uh, about the legitimacy of claims and how that might go down. It might cause people to sell in any case. And which, of course, Volkut's already been um, spreading around town. Um, but he's, you know, this is this is the commissioner talking. And uh, Volkut's response is, it is always preferable to let the market operate unimpeded. Which is amazing <laughs> on multiple levels. Obviously, it's like a core you know free market capitalist like uh, uh maxim but it's also completely it's it's it shows the i suppose falseness of such a claim it, when he's going around manipulating the market by spreading rumors and forcing people basically uh into a position where they feel like they have to sell which is not really i mean i suppose it's a free market if you don't consider manipulation to be you know but it's it's kind of like when you um it's like uh, stock trading or whatever, right? When or, or insider trading or or, um, or whatever it is. When they when they, if you spread a rumor about a company and then so the stocks drop, so you can buy all the the things and then sell uh, at a higher price later or whatever. Like it's like this very clear like sort of crony capitalist uh, 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 approach to things on a very you know low level of you know just selling claims back and forth. Um, but to, to make this statement that I, you know, it's preferable that the market, you know, operate unimpeded is just like so in your face obnoxious. Um, uh, and they all, you know, know that it's nonsense, but they also, you know, they don't clink glasses over it cause it's, um, they're all going to benefit. Yeah, I, I would, I would love to see this become more of a theme in the show just because, and, and I'm not sure if it will, just because there's not much of a, there's not much of a class divide in Deadwood. There are obviously people, like we talk about, there's right. a power divide. There are people at the top and people at the bottom. We've talked about that before. But it is not really contextualized by class sure, as yeah, we sure, think of sure, it. Sure. Except, now, except now it kind of is because with Walcott, which is why I'm curious uh, to yeah, see Yeah, because I mean, it, that, you know, it's not clear how long Walcott will be around, if he's a permanent sort of fixture in the society for for the foreseeable future or because if he is then there is a quite a big difference i mean alma does represent something of that right um but funny enough despite being you know and, and maybe potentially her interactions with miss isringhausen um but uh but funny enough despite having a lot of money she's not i guess she's sort of working into a power playing position she has the ability to do things like buy the hotel but she isn't even though she probably has more money than anybody else in the town, isn't the person you would consider to be like a central figure in the town. Um, so it's not exactly splitting a lot. Well, she's not as, con- she's not as connected. Like she never very, leaves the hotel true, pretty true. much. She, she talks to Ellsworth and Seth and Miss Isra- and, and uh, formerly Miss Isringhausen. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Right. Uh, speaking of let's, uh, let's talk about Miss Isringhausen. So first of all, would be curious to hear your take on Alma this episode versus last episode because I think it's it's quite different. 
I think it, it plays a lot better for me, mostly because I like seeing Farnham put in his place. <laughs> I think it's just, it's, there's something so funny about it, no matter who's doing it. Um, and, and that actor plays so, he plays the he foil does. so well. You just love to see him being stepped on. Especially since he comes in right after Elsman um, and explains the whole situation. And and then yeah. Farnham just proves his <laughs> point. Um, and then... And he they, they write it so well. Like, he comes in and he's talking about, oh, well, you know, you 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 not right. having the intellect right. being the lesser sex. And you're like, oh, he's really, they're really laying oh, down yeah. thick with this guy. He says the N-word. Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus bad. Christ. It's really bad. And, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and it's, and, and you know, you actually get some, a little bit later, just not to get too far off this, you get this funny, by the way, uh, Farnham monologuing to Richardson is, is, uh, is a fantastic <laughs> trope that um, yeah so Great um but uh, you yeah. know he, you get a little bit of self-awareness where he says i know i'm weak and that i look for you know basically strong men to follow around and do their bidding i know that <laughs> you don't know anything about who you are <laughs> richardson but i know who i am <laughs> and uh, so you kind of i kind of had a little bit of respect for him in that moment i was like oh well you, you, you know at least you're not pretending you're not that person um uh, See, but he that whole scene is just him abusing Richardson because that's the oh, only yeah. person in the entire oh, yeah. camp oh, he has yeah. power over. Like we talked about that a couple <laughs> yeah. weeks ago. This is here's this one person who he has any sort of like dominion over, and he like t- tries to hit him with a pan and just screams at him. And Richardson, he doesn't even have seem to have the capability within himself of, to like react yeah, he's to it just, at all, which makes it even more it yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. Um, but on this uh, uh, Alma. A bit, so I do think it was it was a bit better here. Um, I, I I had a suspicion. I was thinking, oh, maybe it has to do with the writers, and it is different writers. Um, you know, each episode's different writers, um, and I thought maybe the female, maybe those female writers are are writing her a bit better. This episode was actually quite the opposite. <laughs> this was a male a male writer, and last mm-hmm. last week was a female writer. So yeah. it's not that. Um, I think it's just uh, how how they're written, or 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 how they're directed as well. Because I mean, she's very cheery this episode as well, which is quite different than last episode which is quite stern <laughs> um but uh yeah no so so uh, in that vein while she is dismissing mrs ringhausen uh that's when we come a tongue twister while she is dismissing her um I, I actually think six months severance is pretty i mean obviously she doesn't have any prospects or whatever but that's like not bad and uh i you know i thought it was a lot more generous than the way it seemed to be going uh last episode so it it is generous, but it is this kind of generosity where she's basically saying, "I will do anything to get you out of here because I, I despise you so much." It is this show of generosity that, but to such an extent that what it, it it's clear that it really means like, "I just need to get you out of here. I I have no patience for you. I don't care how much it's going to cost." Yeah, um, but I yeah. I took it personally. I took it more as I, that may be true, but as to why I didn't take it as. A reaction to her per se but more that she just can't have anyone in her immediate vicinity uh or or sort of interact like that position can't be a thing for her right now because she just can't handle it um more than she's angry at miss isringhausen but leaving that aside whatever your interpretation of that miss isringhausen is a fraud <laughs> And a con artist. And that's my new theory. And I don't remember anything about her character at all. So this is completely, unless there's something in the back of my head that's, that's you know, spoiling everything. I, I don't know. But I don't think so. Because I just didn't buy anything that happened with Adams at all. I mean, 
in that she shows up at his room. He seems to know who she is, but not really know much about her. Uh, so at first I was like, oh, is she working for him? Is this like some sort of thing there? Um, which doesn't seem to be the case at all. Uh, but then she starts, first of all, she's talking about how innocent she is and she's never had a drink and she's never been alone with a man in a room and, you, you know, really playing up the innocence card, which is like, mm, that's a bit weird. And then she's like, and Alma's going to kill me, which whatever you think about generosity or not, no, she's not. I mean, that's just nonsense. So what is the game? Like, what is she playing at and who does she work for? Or is, I don't does know. She I mean, herself? I mean, I, I disagree that she's playing innocent because the whole thing is he he assumes she's never had a drink and then she just downs it in one gulp. So she is definitely I don't think she is uh, necessarily. Fully I think that's the tell. At least. That's the tell is that. I, yeah, but it's such an ob- it's such an like if she was a con artist, she would have pretended. Right. Like that's such an obvious tell. I think she is very deliberately saying something when she does. Maybe, that. Yeah, but it's not really clear. Then what is her? But anyway, it clearly she's trying to do something because i mean this this is a lie about about alma garrett she's never had anyone killed and she's not uh going to kill mrs ringhausen that's nonsense so there's something at play here whatever it is i mean maybe she's not a carnist i don't know we don't know enough yet i I feel like we just don't know (laughs) enough yet to say one way or the other there's this scene when she walks into adam's room what the hell is going on why are these why are these two characters having a conversation? They have nothing to do with each other, but they seem to already know each other when the scene starts. So I think we need to know a lot more about like what their relationship is prior to this and what their understanding, like they have some sort of understand. I, my assumption was that she was spying on Alma for Adams for, by extension for Al. Like that was, that was what I thought like, too. I thought but then the way on, they interacted, it doesn't yeah, really seem like that. Yeah. Odd. Um, because he even asks that question, he's like, it "Seems more personal like, between them, yeah." Alma Garrett, like, 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 I remember, like, you could see, like, in his head, he's like, "Oh yeah, you worked for her." I don't have any interaction with her, so why is this happening? Um, so yeah, it wasn't like she was reporting back, like, oh, "I was kicked out." What are we gonna do now? What's the new game plan? Which is not what happened. So, yeah, I and I just thought it was strange. However, the other important thing in this scene, and it's something that we get a bit in this episode with Adams, is, um. When first when Adams learns that uh, Al is sick, which he didn't know, um, he's actually shocked. Like he's actually seems taken aback and reacts to it with fe- with some sort of feelings. Um, he's not crying like Dan and the rest of them, but he's you know he's like wow that's pretty serious. Is he gonna make it? You know, and now he could be just calculating. You know what's the effect on the town if Al dies? Maybe I don't know, but it does seem like they're trying to build a little bit more a little bit more emotional uh, sort of uh, foundation for him. But then in this scene with, with Miss Isringhausen where she's, I mean, again, I think she's just lying, um, but he's, he seems like he cares um, and that he's, they, they, the, the camera really focuses on his facial expression as she's telling him this stuff. And you can see that it, the implication is that he's in some way moved by the, uh, by the claim. Um, you know, so I think that the setup there isn't necessarily about Adams. It's more about that Adams is falling for whatever she's selling. Um, for me, that's how it reads, but it's also that Adams, it's, it's funny to use Adams as somebody who's false for an emotional play. Cause he's not the guy I would have picked two episodes ago <laughs> for, uh, to, to fall for that. Like Dan, maybe, but not, but not, uh, not Adams. Well, that's the thing. I think, 
Dan is so loyal to Al that like I wouldn't pick him for that. I wouldn't try to turn him to, like in onto some sort of plot because his first thought is always of Al and how is this going to serve him and, and his purposes. Whereas Adams is a little more of an enigma. But I think if you're looking at the two or looking at anyone, I maybe she maybe. sees something in him. Maybe she sees there's something there. You know, he seems like we talked about how he seems like a complete. He was played as a complete sociopath earlier in the season. But clearly, like in this interaction, he is very like befuddled and kind of off his game and he doesn't really know how to react. So, yeah, something is there is something more to him that clearly she sees. And we're not it's not really clear. Yeah, no, it's something we'll we'll keep an eye out for. Um, So. So, yeah, just a brief thing on on Wu and uh, Mr. Lee, which we we referenced. Um, I just want to reiterate that it's something that we don't talk about much. And he's also not too central of a character, at least for now. Um, uh, I I don't remember how much he gets. He gets more play, I think, later. Um, uh, Mr. Wu. But Mr. Wu really is the third pillar of this camp. Just because, like, we (laughs) like never interact with the Chinese bit of the town. He is like the Psy or um, Al of that part of town. And originally it really was just Mr. Wu and Al. And when he comes to talk about what's happening, um, and he can't because Al is, you know, obviously indisposed, um, he's coming, I think, I mean, obviously there's a power disparity because of race and, and how the, the power dynamics of the town, but he's coming to say like, look, we have an arrangement it's good, and there's a new dynamic that is completely throwing things off, and you've got to get back, basically, in the game. And before, it wasn't necessarily affecting him. Now it's going to start affecting him. Um, and uh, affecting Mr. Wu, that is. Um, and that's going to start affecting the rest of the town, and we need to sort of fix what's going on. Um, and that is communicated in so many pantomimes, but <laughs> that is the general point. And I think it'll be good to see um, how Al, I mean, we're very curious to see how he's going to deal with uh, Wolcott and uh, George Hurst and all of that, but also with um, how they're screwing up the dynamics with the uh, the Chinese part of town. Yeah, we, I, we need to know so much more about the Chinese part of camp. It is so... Uh mysterious right now like we don't we only ever really see Wu um we don't really know how it operates we don't know anyone who lives there besides Wu it is so uh it is so closed off right now and I would love I would love a whole episode just focused on that and focused on the dynamics and how it works and who is you know in charge of who or whatever uh, because right now it's just sort of the only time we really interact with it is when someone has to bring a <laughs> yeah. body for the pigs. Yeah, it's a bit uh, a bit thin. Um, but at the very least, we do understand that there's a uh, there's some relationship between them, both for opium, for getting rid of bodies, etc., and that that is being disturbed by this uh, this new um, presence in the town. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of the what the, what the other main thing. I suppose Al is the other main bit of the episode. Yeah, there's not a lot to it though. It just sort of, um, I, I mean, we I should say, talk about Cochrane when quite he says a good, a good bit because there's a lot of people speaking for Al when they're really just speaking for themselves because Al is not really uh, uh, compass mentist at all in this episode. So you know, whatever you went. Yeah, what's the thing Dan says? It's like he 
He he blinked yeah, with right. one eye for yes, and he yeah, scowled for no, and he cuts to Al, and it's just he has this one he's one <laughs> terrified rictus grin. He like he has no no expression yeah, on his face exactly, whatsoever. Exactly. So so uh, so so Dan, that's that's Dan's reaction to to to, to what's going on, and and uh, Cochrane cannot keep it together. And remember, Cochrane again. Speaking of um, characters and and their past that we know about, Cochrane literally performed surgery in the battlefield in the Civil War, right? But he just can't. I don't know why he just can't get it together with. Uh, for this uh, this um, stone removal, uh, and at the end of it, they convince themselves that he's scared and doesn't want to do it, which of course means they're scared and they don't want to do it. <laughs> That's probably my favorite scene in the episode is when all three of them are like standing right in his face, and going, "Are you scared? You're scared, right? You're too scared of the knife," and he's just looking at them, just. Again, that one expression on yeah, his face. Yeah, he doesn't, I mean, I I, I thought, uh, you know, was it one or two episodes ago? I thought, Al, maybe it was last episode. Al did, uh, uh, Ian McShane did such a good job um, with the with the, with the the part. Um, and now he doesn't have anything to do because he's just sort of like frozen in, in space and time. Um, and so, yeah, it really falls on the rest of them to, to supplement it. And, uh, I, but yeah, I mean, you know, you really get this impression that, they'll do anything not to have to do this surgery and they figure they'll just give it one more shot, uh, to just try and do it the semi-natural way. Um, and somehow they're able to, uh, they're able to coax out the stones and that's a horrifying moment uh, as well. It's so gross. (laughs) It's like, this is a, this is a shockingly gross episode. This is not something I expect from this show, but when you see just the slop on the ground and the blood and the uh, all manner of fluids. Gleet. Um, it's gleet. And then also there's that, there's that shot of, it's gleet, it's a gleet. There's that shot of a crop ear lying on the ground and his, like I can, I can, I've seen a lot of movies where someone's neck has been slit, but the way his like saliva is like draped across <laughs> his face is just so disgusting, and I couldn't wow. handle it. It's wow. just too okay. much. Wow. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah. It was a bit. It was a bit. Uh, but good yeah, in, in a good, good way. way. Yeah. No. Way. It's just uh, I, I guess I didn't react to. I mean, I did react to the the gleat. That was you know a bit. But well, anything with this. I mean, it's nasty. Just, kidney stones. You know, horrible. <laughs> just there's no way to to to. I mean, now we have much better you know ways of dealing with kidney stones i suppose you can you know this surgery doesn't lead to 20 you know an 80 percent mortality rate um but it's uh it's still horrible and it sounds incredibly painful and the mm-hmm. just ugh, the body yeah i'm not a doctor but it's a good thing um it's just not not great <laughs> uh yeah and and so yeah the episode is kind of funny in how it ends um so so uh, yeah so Dan Man- uh, murders Cropier who seems to be we learn a sm- tiny bit about Dan which is basically that he was going around committing crimes um not doing anything particularly useful with his life. Yeah, I like it. He says this like it's a revelation. Like what did you I don't I didn't think he would have been doing anything else before he met Al. It's like I and I was a criminal. <laughs> of course you were. Well, but but there is this Duh. contrast and and I I think it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of fascinating to see this hierarchy in the criminal world that he's a sellout because he went to get a real yeah. job, quote unquote. Not really, but, you know, <laughs> and Cropier doesn't want anything to do with him because he's not, what, a pure criminal anymore or whatever. Like, what is this? He's not a highway <laughs> robber, I suppose, is the main problem. Um, and, 
yeah and uh uh so they have this weird back and forth and you know he does allow him to go up to see Al, but then he just gets to be too much. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to kill you, which obviously had to, more to do with his anxiety over what's going on with Al than uh, uh, anything else. But still, I mean, I thought that was a, a funny comparison, but it does imply that there was like, there's, you know, Dan had a little bit of a life before and, you know, knows, knows outlaws in some, some regard. And uh, I don't know that'll come up again, but uh, it's kind of a cool little backstory. Um, and then is, is there an, there's there's another scene? Oh, I suppose there's the um, the thing we didn't talk about was, uh, or we didn't really get into it in much detail was uh, Wolcott's uh, experience at the Shazami. Um, did you have any any thoughts about this? Um, you could say oh, that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I actually didn't. It, it's like I said at the top. It is a. Uh, this bizarre like eyes wide yep, shut yep, setup that he great, has great description. Uh, immediately what what i what i thought of when i saw this and he is regaling them with tales of all the weird sex stuff that happened in ancient greece and um joni is basically saying are you gonna like do something or are you gonna keep being a weirdo and this uh he he says something he says he bore carrie and I immediately was like, is she his daughter? Because then he's talking about incest. And I don't think that's it. But it's a weird choice of words um, talking about this woman. And then they have this bizarre encounter alone later. I, I, I don't know what to make of this Yeah, I mean, to me, to be honest with you, it seems like we're seeing what happened with um, Farnham on a much more sinister and grander scale uh you know first of all there's a lot of prioritizing money over people which is like a theme in the show i guess in general um but you get a really clear thing where maddie is like yep i'm gonna retire on this money that we're gonna get from this guy and that's how it's gonna happen because whatever and i don't care that he's gonna be abusive and horrible um and then he isn't and that's not because he's suddenly a nice person or that he's not going to be bad. What it is is this prolonged toying with, like, prey. I mean, he's, a like, a deeply sadistic person, it seems. To me, anyway, from this episode and from what we know of him and how he interacts. So when he's like, oh, yeah, I won't, you know, I won't hit you and all the rest of it he agrees to all that stuff he'll just he just throws money out like it doesn't mean anything because it doesn't really mean anything to him it's all for show it seems like i mean he hasn't done anything yet but it all feels like it's you know everyone's holding their breath or at least i was holding my breath i was like oh this is gonna be bad and whether or not it happens this episode or if it happens the next episode or whatever like the other shoe has to drop with uh with uh woke up yeah, we definitely have more to see. It does feel like there's this buildup with him that he's going to right. explode in some way. And I it's I am not anxious no, to see what happens. Me neither. Then. Me neither. Even if I have seen this show before, I don't remember it being good. But let's see. Let's see what happens. Maybe a, a construction thing will drop on him and he'll die and we won't have to care about him anymore. Um, <laughs> or piano <laughs> falls out of a window. Um but right, so the second to last scene. What what was the second to last scene? Was it this scene? It was okay. That was it. Because yeah, then it, it cuts back to a what two seconds 
<laughs> shot of uh, Al, uh, like taking a deep breath, which is the first like movement we've really seen of him that wasn't violent shaking, um, which is sort of like the release of tension from a <laughs> from a reason of the episode. But it's not like timed in any way that's rhythmically like in sync with anything else. It's not like particularly cleverly implemented. It just sort of happens. I like it as a concept, but it no, just I like of, it. I, I don't know. For me, it was just so abrupt. And then the episode ends. I thought I just thought it was a bit odd. I mean, this is very un-TV. Usually, TV ends right. with a scene, right? It doesn't end with this this moment that is more a little more suggestive. And I really liked it because I feel like, like we said, that the if there is an arc to this episode, it is Al and what is happening to him. So I think you kind of have sure, to end with him certainly. in some way. But the conclusion of, but there is stuff that happens after the non non surgery that they do, right? So you can't just end with that. As much as the shot of all of them piled onto him onto his bed would be a right. great closing shot, you have more stuff to do. So I like this moment where they they basically say, "Look, the episode's over, and we just ha- we have this one extra moment with Al, where he has this where he seems like he is at peace to some extent. He just sort of like go he goes like right. he like sighs. Right. That's what he does." And he's like, all right. Yeah, it feels like a a release of tension. Again, symbolically, I really appreciate it. I just thought, maybe it was the editing or something I just thought was a bit odd. I don't mind ending on that at all. But, like, I don't know, you could time it with, um, you know, a sort of a sexual climax, sort of as a funny, you know, comparison to that. Well, it is a sexual, it's a sexual anticlimax. Exactly, exactly. But it's not like, yeah, I don't know, just the way it it comes in is, is, is a bit odd. So this episode it, has its own it anticlimax. Does, does a lot of anticlimaxes in Deadwood. Um, anyway, yeah. So I think uh, I think that's it. That's the majority of the episode. I don't think we missed anything significant, did we? No. So um, we'll be back next week, I guess, and we'll talk about. This is a weird one. Wikipedia lists this episode's title as oh, right. complications, but then it says then it says in parentheses. Formally, yeah, someone clearly didn't like the title, so they've they've changed it. So I don't know what the deal with that is. I will have to do some yeah, research. Yeah, no, definitely before next week because I'm. That's a weird one. I've never seen that on a TV show episode I mean, certainly before. I think shows have. I mean, episodes have been renamed, but they've usually been renamed something quite different. Um, for whatever reason, or like in one territory, it was released in one way or the other. It's pilot here, but it's you know. Yeah. Um, but difficulties and complications. I don't know why that would change it's a bit odd um so we have a look into that um one thing i want to say just before we go is the other thing about ellsworth that was the thing i wanted to say about ellsworth is he really shows a clear acumen for uh understanding he sees straight through wolcott's plot from like top to bottom without he just sees him goes knows exactly what's happening doesn't ask anyone doesn't consult with anyone just knows what's happening talks to alma explains the whole situation and alma seems to really appreciate like that is like who knew ellsworth is like pretty sharp like obviously he's not an idiot but he you know because he's able to manage the claim and he knows how to uh um, prospect effectively and he's clearly managing the claim quite well and all the rest of it but he's also perceptive um and you can see on her face that she's uh she's quite affectionate towards him so i thought that was kind of a a fun sweet little moment before farnham comes in and does his thing um anyway yes so uh we'll see how the I can't imagine what complications slash difficulties one might encounter in Deadwood, but certainly we'll find out next week. <laughs> All right. All right.